you'll turn with me kind of toward the beginning of the Bible, we're going to start in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 17. We're going to be uh, really mostly in the Old Testament today as we begin a new sermon series. Thank you very much. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart. But we have to begin this morning with this. Long live the king. All right. Well, that's something that's happening. They're saying it over in England. After 70 years and 214 days, now in Great Britain, they're saying, long live the king. The king being King Charles III, uh, who has taken the throne after the death of his mother, uh, Queen Elizabeth II. And what an amazing woman that she was. Uh, she had the longest reign of monarchy in all of Great Britain's history, uh, what she is able to see. But now they are saying, long live the king. It's interesting as Americans, it's kind of interesting to look over uh, across the pond at all the pomp and all the circumstance uh, and kind of be entertained with it. Uh, it. It seems to make our news. They want to tell us who's going to the funeral, who's showing up, what the, what the royal family is doing. Uh, we kind of look and kind of wonder, man, what is it like to have a king? I mean, we are a country, we've talked about this, uh, a country that doesn't want a king. Uh, we love our freedom, we love our democracy. It was with great intentionality that we don't have a king. But as Christians, we do. Uh, as Christians, we have a king. Uh, his name is Jesus. Uh, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God's only son. As Christians, he is to be the only king that we ultimately bow to. He's the only king that we give our life to and surrender to. And he's the one, ultimately, that Christians, we are to pray that his kingdom would come. We are to seek his kingdom first. I mean, we are to look for him in all of things. And so when they say, long live the king, as believers, yeah, that seems kind of crazy of a monarchy and a distant well, across the pond land, but as Christians, what does it mean for us? And how does this point to Jesus? Well, this morning we began a new sermon series looking into the life of David. And David is the greatest of kings in the Old Testament. And he's the one whose kingdom would find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And it's interesting who David is. David is both, uh, or Jesus, Jesus is both David's son and David's Lord. Even when Jesus walked the earth and the religious leaders of the day were trying to trip him up, Jesus would quote Psalm 110. He says, hey, how does this work out? You guys all love King David and that Old Testament king. How could King David uh, actually call uh, his son Lord? And that son, that Lord would be Jesus. Beginning a new sermon series to me, uh, it feels a lot like watching a, a new TV show. And TV shows have changed over the years. I mean, back in my day, in the dark ages, when you only had a few channels, if you were into a show like Happy Days that came out on Tuesday, you had to wait every Tuesday. You'd get a lot of 30-minute Happy Day fix. But nowadays, when you're watching Netflix or Hulu or your favorite streaming area, and they drop a whole series or they drop something, I know they do it sometimes one at a time. But right now, Katie and I are watching Castle. Uh, it's kind of a crime detective story. Um, as a matter of fact, some people in this church thought that Castle looked and acted like me. Very handsome guy, very smart. Um, but 
really enjoying it. And we're into season six. And it's interesting because we can watch it anytime we want. You don't have to wait for a certain day. We can just pick up Hulu, jump on, watch our show, get our fix. So, but when you, anytime you watch a new show, you know, that first pilot, right? When you jump into something new and you don't know any of the characters, you don't know really the storyline, uh, and it's a lot of information to give. And that's how I feel with this sermon. We're going to be looking at David, a David, a man after God's own heart. And we're going to jump into a story that uh, is bigger. And this morning, we're going to try to give you a lot of background uh, so you can understand this story. This story, this whole sermon series, and especially this morning, this morning's sermon will strive to give you context to understand David uh, and how his life story fits into the Bible story, the big picture. So today, let me warn you, we really are going to be looking at the big picture. I'm going to be talking about books of the Bible maybe you don't know about, and I'm going to reference for you. But let me remind you of this. The Bible, this amazing story of two testaments, old and new, this amazing story, this book of 66 different books, it's one overarching story. It's one overarching story how God rescues his people uh, from sin and death and how God does that through his own son, Jesus. The Bible has a lot of smaller heroes, but it really only has one. The, the hero of the Bible is Jesus. And if we look closely, we're going to see him echoed or his shadow in all the stories. And I love the fact that the, at the end of Jesus' life, matter of fact, at his resurrection, when he showed up and walked along a few, aside a few disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were so bummed out that Jesus was crucified. They thought he was the Messiah, but they thought Messiahs don't get hung on a tree and nailed to a cross. That can't be right. And Jesus comes alongside them and blows away their mind. It says their hearts were burning inside when Jesus told them the truth. He said, listen, all of Scripture, did not the Messiah have to suffer? He starts with Moses. He goes very back to the beginning and prophets. Goes through the Psalms and he says, this whole thing is about him. So we're going to see that reality as well. And what we're going to see, that this one story about Jesus, but it's been always has been God's design. It's always has been God's design to love, to lead, to govern and protect his beloved people through a godly king of his own choosing. Did you hear that? It's always been God's design to love, govern, lead, protect his people through his chosen king. And ultimately, we'll see through scripture that that king of choice is his son, Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So here's the goal. You got to hear this as we start off. David is a man after God's own heart. How cool is having that description? A man through whom God chose to be king to his beloved people. God made a covenant. He made a promise with David that through David's line, through his bloodline, a king and a kingdom would come that would endure forever. Hit pause. How could that happen? How could God promise one guy that his kingdom would last forever? Well, it's because that kingdom would connect to Jesus. Jesus is the real realization of that promise. Now, most important, what I'm going to say right now as we jump into this, while we study David's life, our goal will never be to emulate David, but our goal will be to see and worship Jesus, who is both David's Lord and David's son. 
We're going to look into things. We're going to look into things like next week I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. And a lot of people think it's a story about fighting our monsters. It's something so much bigger. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at David's life and be astounded of how that cast a shadow to Jesus or how that connects to him. Uh, we're going to see a lot of godly characteristics, and we're going to see some not very godly characteristics. But remember, the goal isn't to be like David. The goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to run to him and see him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, who's both David's Lord and his son, Scripture will tell us. So this morning, as we jump into this new series, we're going to see a few things that are really important for you to understand the context we're going to start off with the prescription of a godly king, uh, that God gives us a prescription. We're going to see the need of a godly king. We're going to see the foreshadowing of a godly king. We'll see the problem of requesting a king for ourselves, your own king. And then lastly, the provision of a godly king. So we're going to start in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's part of the Pentateuch, the first five chapters of the Bible. It was written by Moses after they had gotten out of Egypt cross through the Red Sea, and they're on their way to the promised land. Uh, so we're going to start in Deuteronomy, and then we'll also turn uh, to 1 Samuel and read a couple of uh, chapters out of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy, uh, it means literally the second giving of the law, uh, and we'll see this prescription that God has given to us. No matter we find ourselves... Genesis to Revelation, this is God's holy word. My brothers and sisters, it'll never lead us astray. And may we put ourselves under the authority of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. When you come to the land the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And you shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire of himself excessive silver and gold. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statues and doing them. And his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. I'm going to turn to First uh, Samuel chapter 4 and read verses 4 through 9. This is God's people now asking for a king. Verse 4, 1 Samuel 8. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was a judge uh, leading the people at the time at Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us, just like all the other nations. 
But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they also are also doing to you. Now then, obey the voice. Only shall, shall solemnly, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. And lastly, we'll see David here in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? He was the first king. Since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for who I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what, uh, what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me among whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and say, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When he came, he looked on Elib. And thought, surely the Lord is uh, anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height or on his stature. But I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah. Passed by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and handsome, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, as we jump into your word and we look uh, to David, a man after your own heart, uh, God, a king, an amazing king in the Old Testament, uh, God, we ask that you would come and be with us and open up our minds to understand what this word has for us. Open up our ears to hear your voice through this. Uh, God, that you would open up our hearts that, that we would embrace the king of your own choosing that we would understand what that means to us, that, God, you would allow our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Lord, we're going to jump in, and we're going to look at a lot of things today. But I ask that you would be teacher. Holy Spirit, I, I implore you in the name of Jesus that you speak to us. 
Help us understand your word. God, don't let me lead the people in a way in the wilderness that gets them lost. But God, may your word point us to your son. God, may the meditation of my heart, may the the words of my mouth be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's in your matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we're going to see is a prescription for the go- a godly king. And I love this. I read it to you out of Deuteronomy. And it's before they even get to the promised land. Before they even get there, God's going to say, okay, you're going to have a king. It's my design for you to have a king over you. But I want to tell you what this king should be like. And so he gives a prescription in Deuteronomy 17. He says, first of all, it's got to be a king of my own choosing. We have our choosers are broken. We don't choose well on our own. If we take God out of the equation and we try to make decisions apart from him, it doesn't end well. And God says, I do want to reign over you. And ultimately, I want to be your God. Ultimately, I want to be your king. Ultimately, I want to walk with you every day of your life. And as you look for a king, you got to look for one of, of my own choosing. And that own choosing God will ultimately will have as his son, Jesus, to be our king. He goes on to say, not only does he have to be one that I choose, he's got to be a king who's uh, uh, among your brothers. He's got to be a family member. You can't have some foreigner. You've got to have somebody who, who understands who I am, understands the family. He's got to be a brother. And we see that from the midst of the rank. We see David uh, from the tribe of uh, Bethlehem, uh, from the city of Bethlehem. Uh, he would come from the tribe of Judah uh, as that king. But ultimately, again, it would be Jesus. I mean, Jesus who would become a part of our family. I love what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus. Remember, this is the Jesus who spoke everything into creation. This is the eternal God. But the book of Hebrews 2 says this, that he put on flesh. He didn't despise to call us brothers. That he was made like us in every way so that he could relate to us, love us, and rescue us. Isn't it amazing when Jesus, when, when the Father says, hey, have a king, I'm going to choose him, and have a king, he's got to be a part of the family, that we ultimately see that that would be Jesus uh, as, as, as well. Not only that, he must, a uh, king whose strength is in of the Lord. As I read it, I'm sure it sounded strange to you. Here's what God said to the king. Don't let him collect a lot of horses. Why shouldn't a king collect a lot of horses? Do you not want a king with a lot of horsepower? Do you not want a king with a big army? Uh, do you not want a king who can say, look what I could do on my own? It's interesting. God says, don't get horses, especially from Egypt, because I want to be your strength. I want you to look to me. I don't want you to look to man. I, I, I want to I be the one. Don't acquire too many horses. Why? Because your confidence will be in the wrong thing. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't try to make an allegiance with the world. Look to me for your strength. And then we see Jesus. I mean, Jesus, who, again, is that powerful, creating God. When he came to earth, he says, by the way, I can't do anything except for what the Father tells me. All I can do is the Father's will. I'm just going to submit to him. My strength comes from him. My joy comes from him. Empowered by his spirit, I'm going to be all about him. And we see what world leaders, oftentimes, they try to have the strength and the might uh, of a big army. But that wasn't God's way. God's way was, no, look to me for your strength. Not only that, a uh, king whose heart is true to the Lord. In verse 17, he says, don't acquire many wives for yourselves. Back in a time where polygamy was a little different than it was in our day, um, 
He's saying, listen, don't, don't get a lot of wives, because why? Your heart is going to turn. I love what the Bible says. David's son Solomon's going to take the throne. The Bible says he was the wisest man to ever live. The guy was amazing when it came to science. He was amazing when it came to uh, literature and Proverbs. I mean, he was incredible. No one liked him. Yet he wasn't wise enough not to collect a ton of wives and hundreds of them. And what is God's word said? His heart turned. So God says, I want a king whose heart's undivided. I want somebody who is focused on me. And then again, we see the beautiful reality of that, that Jesus and Jesus alone was the only one who ever lived that loved the Lord his God, uh, our Father, his Father, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, I want one whose security is in the Lord. He says a king shouldn't have excessive silver and gold. Don't acquire what the world says is valuable. Why? Because you'll find your security in that. And then we look at Jesus. Again, the one who was rich became poor. The one who says, listen, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't have that reality who looked to the Lord. And then you had to have a king. This is a prescription. A king who was grounded in the word of the Lord. Listen again to what it says. And when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book of the law. He should copy the law approved by the priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may fear the Lord, and by keeping the words of the law and these statutes and doing them. Write a copy of it. Is God's law important for God's king? Man, I want you to never forget it. Write it down. Write it down so you will remember it. Read it every day. Apply it to your life. And keep it. Be a doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Do them. And then we see the beauty of Jesus. The only one who came, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Everything a holy God is going to require for us, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to magnify the law by my life. I'm going to fill it uh, for you and for me so that the righteousness of God can be placed on you. But keep the law. This is the word of God, Jesus in flesh, who perfectly kept God's word. You know, it's interesting, as I, as I think about where we are as, as a nation, I know many of you are thinking about that. As I think about where we are on 9-11, uh, I, I read something recently that really seemed to describe who we are. It says, Mer America has lost its common values, and America has lost its common story. And if you lose your common values and your common story, you lose your identity, and you don't know who you are. And so God says, I want a leader, and I want him to know my story. I want him to know it really, really well. I want him to know my values. He's got to live out my values, because why? We're his we have this common story. That's where we find our identity. And lastly, a king who would fear the Lord. One who knows and loves him. And we see that beautifully in David. All right. So first thing is a prescription for a godly king. We need it. Second thing is this. Is a king, uh, the, uh, the need for a godly king. If you look to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is an amazing book between Joshua and Ruth. And what it's going to tell us the whole time God's people in the entire book are knuckleheads. They keep on running to the wrong gods. They keep doing the wrong thing. They cry out to God, and he keeps bringing them saviors, judges, that would uh, help them and lead them uh, out of what, the bad condition that they were in. The entire book of Judges is an argument that we need a godly king. And it says it for a few times. The book ends in this way, Judges 21 and 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
Let me tell you, church, it's never right for us to do what's right in our own eyes. It's never right to do what's right in your own eyes. We are a country, a people, and I hate to say it, oftentimes a church that's trying to do what's right in our own eyes. God has told us what is right. God's spirit will lead us to what is right. God's king is to, to rule, reign over us what is right. We got to be a people that's passionate for the truth, passionate for the word, passionate of God's word. And it says in that book of Judges, listen, it was a mess. Why was it a mess? Because everybody was doing what they thought was right. Hey, it feels good for me. Why don't we try it? Is that good for you? Why don't you do that? I mean, they completely abandoned God's word. They completely abandoned God's covenant. And they just did what felt, looked, smelled right to them. It's a recipe for disaster. Do we not see it now? Are we not seeing that reality? Church, we are not to do what's right in our own eyes. You don't want your pastor standing up and saying, this is my opinion of what we should do. You don't want somebody who says, hey, let me tell you, I think that we used to do it this way, but I think we should do it now. Look at this. This might be a better way. This is God's word. It'll never lead us astray. We don't do what's right in our own eyes. And we got to be uh, people of the book. And not only that, um, we got a people uh, designed for a godly king. It never ends right because we're created in God's image. We're made to be governed by God's word. We're created to be led by a king. So that's the entire book of Judges. It's an amazing argument we need a king. In between the book of Judges and Samuel where the king comes is the book of Ruth. Have you read the book of Ruth? Incredible book. Four chapters. Read it. One of the greatest stories of the Bible. It's fantastic. Why is the book of Ruth wedged in in that part of scripture? It's beautiful. I mean, it's incredible. Someday, Lord willing, I'll preach through the book of Ruth. I preached it to you in Costco, didn't I? That's how you started to come to the church. I love it. Well, listen, I don't have time, but let me just tell you. The book of Ruth is a story during the time of Judges, and it's basically going to tell you it's going to end with the word David. It's going to foreshadow David. And so the book of Judges is about a family that lived in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And because of a famine, people who live in house of bread go to uh, a place that doesn't believe uh, to go to try to find bread. And the family that goes there is called Elimelech, which means God is our king. And as they go to Moab, uh, they find out the Moabites. There is a, a lady there um, who marries a son of the family. The son dies. Everybody dies off. And her name was Ruth. And Ruth says, you know what? I'm going to follow your God. And I, I, I want to I follow the God of Israel. I, I want him to be my God. I want to go where he goes. And through that amazing story of redemption, she is going to be in the family line of Jesus. Ruth's name is in the genealogy in Matthew of Jesus. And why does God tell us about this story of a Moabite? Well, it's going to foreshadow. The last word is David. It's going to say basically this. Hey, I just told you you better have a king that's one of your brothers. And I told you that you got to watch out for those Canaanites and those Moabites and those mosquito bites. I told you about them, right? But he's like, hey, listen, it's okay. This King Jesus, he's going to have blood of a, of a Canaanite named Rahab, and she was a harlot, but she had faith. And he's going to have blood of a Moabite, but it's okay because she had faith. And this King Jesus, it's so beautiful of a foreshadowing. God's word is amazing. God's word is incredible. I hope you read it and just fall in love with the reality. Here's a beautiful story of Ruth, and it points 
to David, and David points to Jesus. I mean, it's just an absolutely foreshadowing. The very last word of the book of, 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 of uh, uh, Ruth is David, even before he appears on the scene. Um, and then we see the problem with requesting your own king. If you read this closely, Deuteronomy says it's okay for you to have a king. All of a sudden, the people say they wanted a king, and everybody has a meltdown. He's like, I can't believe it. They're asking for a king, Samuel says. And God says, oh, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And you want to say, well, wait a minute, time out. How come uh, Samuel's melting down? How come God is having a hard time with this? Because he told us in his law, here's how you're supposed to have a king. And now all of a sudden we're asking for a king and everybody seems to be upset with this. What's wrong, God? Here's the biggest deal. They were asking for a king like the other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to, they, they, they wanted, they're looking around saying, no, man, we don't have a king. We want to have a king. Look at those, those king, those fights, their battles. We, we want to be like the other nations. Now here, listen. I don't know what you heard so far, but you can't miss this. Church, God doesn't want us to be like the other nations. God doesn't want us to be like those around us. He wants us to love those around us. He does not want us to chase after culture to be what they are like. He doesn't want our, our values to be their values. He doesn't want our understanding of marriage to be their understanding of marriage. He doesn't want our understanding of life to be their understanding of life. He doesn't want that for his people. He never has. He never will. Why? Because he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Because he wants to use us to reveal who he is in a dark world. If we're chasing after the world, if we're becoming just like them, we have lost our saltiness, we have lost our light, we have lost our witness, and, and, and you know, we become useless as ambassadors of Christ. This is so important. The problem with requesting their own king of own choosing was, was really they're asking, hey, we want to be like the other nations and god will never allow that asking for a king of his own choosing there was a guy uh named joseph de master and i don't know how you pronounce it, it's french in 1811 very interesting listen to these words he said every nation gets the government it deserves now hit pause how are we how are we doing every nation gets the government we deserve what is he saying Look at the values of your country, look at the values of those around you, and look at the values of the, who, who you're going to put around you. Now, this is not political. If you know Jeff Jakes, I hate it, and I'll never give you politics. I'll give you Jesus. But i got to tell you, the reality is God is saying he wants to be our king, and we as a country that loves democracy, I love it, love freedom, got to be careful because every nation will get the government they deserve. And we as the church got to hold up and say our hope is not in America, our hope is not in government, our hope is in Jesus. But the reality is may we live in a way that proclaims the kingdom of God. May we live in a way that people say these people are really strange. They love their neighbor as themselves. They feed their enemies. They go and worship a God. They believe in a book that everybody else says is ancient and crazy. That they find their identity and someone who hung on a cross. That, that they surrendered their life to one who gave his life for them. Church, that's what we need to be. God's word's going to tell us the cost of a worldly king. He says, listen, 
you want a king like the other nations, it's going to cost you your sons, your daughters, your cattle. It's going to cost you your fields. They're going to tax you. They're going to take away so many things from you. And the real problem is, is he doesn't want us to be like the other nations. He never does. And yet at the very end of this, where he says, listen, you're going to ask for a king. This is going to be bad. He says, but I'm going to give grace to you, even in the midst of that. Let me read this to you. The grace of God to those who ask for a worldly king. This is out of 1 Samuel 12. I'm going to start in verse 19. Don't, don't tune me out. Lean in. And the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, for asking ourselves for a king. Here they go. They say, oh man, we messed up. We rejected God as king. We rejected him as choosing king. We wanted to be like everybody else. Man, we messed up. So pray to God. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside from after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and rightful ways. And he says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully, faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things God has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. I love that. They're like, oh man, we messed up. We rejected God as king. We wanted a king like every other nation. God, he's angry with us. But here's God's grace. So here's the point to all of you who are like me, broken sinners. We can never get away from God's grace. God is an amazing, gracious, loving God. Don't you think for a moment that you're disqualified from God's grace. Don't you think for a moment you've disqualified from God's love and mercy in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants to say you are, but it's not true. And here he is showing mercy. Now, let me, let me share with you, uh, 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 it says in verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully uh, with all your heart, for consider what great things God has done for you. That's 1 Samuel 12, 24. This is a funny story. A good friend of mine was dating his future wife, in college many, many years ago, his future mother-in-law sent him a, a care package and said, here, I just want to tell you I love you. He sent back a thank you note. Thanks for making me cookies in college. You're awesome. And he said, love in Christ. And then he put a Bible verse, 2 Samuel 12, 24. He made one little error. In 1 Samuel 12, 24, it says, serve the Lord, fear the Lord, serve him faithfully. You know what 2 Samuel 12, 24 says? And David laid with his wife Bathsheba and conceived, and she gave birth to a son. Can you imagine writing that to your future mother-in-law? Hey, thanks for the cookies. By the way, your daughter's knocked up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. True story. Um, amazing, godly man. Make sure you get your ones and your twos right. And the last thing is, is God's provision for a godly king. Um, and again, uh, I, I've, I've, uh, I, knew I, I, I knew I had a ton for you. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, I'm just going to try to land the plane and say this. We're going to look at David. And David is God's provision because David had a heart after God. God didn't look at the outside appearance. He looked at the heart. But ultimately, in all of these things, we got to see Jesus. I mean, again, David is one who just points to, to, to Jesus. We're going to see D David is an amazing sinner. Uh, David is an amazing repenter. 
Uh, David is an amazing musician. He's an amazing man after God, but he's not our hope. Uh, he's a knucklehead like us who messed up really big. But David pointed to Jesus. Um, David, uh, we'll, we'll pick that up. Again, we can see in Jesus, David's anointing, Jesus' anointing, the spirit on David, the spirit on Jesus. Um, but let me say this. Long live the king. Long live the king. He will. King Jesus. Long live the king. And may we be a church and a people who long live with King Jesus. And may we be a church and people who long live for our King Jesus. May we be a people who don't do what's right in our own eyes. And may we never desire to be like the other nations. You're the church. You're the beloved family of God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you will be able to proclaim in this dark world the good news of what Christ has done. Live for Christ your king. He's worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you so much that you and you alone are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, as we jump into this new sermon series, we thank you for David. He had a heart for you. He was amazing. Man, the, the psalmist, the one who wrote incredible psalms, the one who slayed giants, uh, the one who was able to do so many marvelous things, yet the one who needed a big Savior, because, oh boy, was he a sinner. God, we thank you that our hope isn't trying to emulate David. Our hope is in David's son and David's Lord, our Lord, Jesus. And God, we ask that Jesus would be magnified through the preaching of this series, that he would be the king of kings of this church, that we never would try to be like the nations around us, that we never try to do what's right in our own eyes. We would be men and women who follow your word and men and women who live for your son, our king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.